Um, so with that being said, um, let's jump into the Word of God today. You know, I went home last week, and uh, thank you for all of you who prayed for us. We dedicated the Congress Christian Education, Ashford, you can be seated, dedicated the Congress Christian Education um, to my mother in Wisconsin last week, which is super cool, and I had a chance to preach. Thank you, thank you. I had a chance to preach there, and uh, it was great, and so I wanted to show my son where daddy used to play football. I did. I had to show him. And uh, I was going to send a picture into Steve of me in my old Letterman jacket, and I don't want y'all to see me with hair. Um, I don't want you to see me. At the time, I took my senior photos with my Letterman jacket on. I had Iverson braids. If anybody remembers Allen Iverson, I had braids. And then after I had the braids, I, had, I was like two years of dreads. You don't want to see it, um, but I was going to send it. And um, anyway, so I took my son to my old football field, and I showed him where I used to play football. And uh, it was funny because I showed my, my son had the picture of me. I let him jack, he took a picture on his phone, it has it on his phone. He said, Daddy, you used to wear this. I said, I did. He said, why don't you still wear it? And I looked at him, and I said, because nobody, after you graduate high school, you don't wear your Letterman jacket from high school, because that's just weird. Like, you're not in high school. And so then, crazy story, we're sitting there watching football at Brookfield Central, and as I'm watching football at Brookfield Central, I see some people that graduated a couple years ago showing back up in their Letterman jacket. And nothing is weirder than seeing a grown man wear in 2004 Letterman jacket. Like, that's just, bruh, you were in high school like 20 years ago. Like, there's so many other things you could be doing with your life, but then wearing a jacket that is too small to begin with back to an old football game. And it made me think of something that nothing is worse than having the option for a new opportunity, trying to accomplish a new opportunity with old achievement. Oh, nothing is worse than trying to walk into a new season with thinking you can accomplish something new with something old. This is the letter that Jesus is writing to the church of Philadelphia. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't condemn them. It's a beautiful letter, but what Jesus is telling them, I want to make sure y'all get something in your minds right, he tells them, because I don't want you to walk into an open door with closed door tendencies. And that's the story in Revelation chapter 3. You have your Bibles. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse number 7, to hear the fresh, the true, the breathing word of God. Remember, Jesus is speaking these. So this isn't John's revelation. This is Jesus speaking to John about what he sees in the future. And the letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, verse 7, says this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. Someone say amen. amen. And what he shuts, no one can open. Somebody else say amen. amen. Verse 8, I know your deeds. I placed you before an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, but you've kept my word and not denied my name. And I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Why? Since you've kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You may be seated. Let's jump right into the text. Uh, you guys know how we break this down, sort of the Christ's character, Christ's correction, Christ's comments, sorry, Christ's commendation. Christ's correction, Christ's exhortation, and then Christ's promise. So let me give you some history on Philadelphia. The town of Philadelphia gets its name from the Attalus Philadelphus, the king of Pergamos, who died in 138 BC. It's situated on the slopes of Mount Timolus in the midst of a district of a soil that was very cult, uh, favorable to the cultivation of wine. It's very similar to me when I look at Philadelphia. I want you to think about where we live right now. Um, we're in the valleys, we're near the valley, Sonoma Valley, Alexander Valley, Russian River Valley, Napa Valley. I want you to see here that this city was very similar to where we are. Cultivating wine, very pow powerful wine, great wine. And so what happened is um, it was built 900 feet above sea level. The whole region was volcanic, so it had a really interesting tasting wine. And what happened is in the midst of this whole like possibility of great wine, in AD 17, there was a catastrophic earthquake that hit Philadelphia. 
Sounds a lot like here, right? So um, earthquake was so devastating that Rome decided to exempt Philadelphia from payments for five years. So Philadelphia got no help from the government. Philadelphia got no help from the military. Philadelphia got no help monetarily to aid them in recovery. And so then because of that, they took it as if Rome was not going to be their enemy, that Rome had betrayed them. For years, they had paid taxes to Rome. For years, they had given everything to Rome. And then at the same time, after the five years went by, Rome said, we'll help you, but here's how we'll help you. Domitian said, we're going to take all of your vineyards from Philadelphia and bring all that wine to Rome. Now, remember, Philadelphia had thriving vineyards, and they competed with Rome. And so now Domitian said, the only way we'll help you is by stripping you of the backbone of your economy. So the Christians in Philadelphia felt betrayed by Rome. The unsaved in Philadelphia felt betrayed by Rome. They felt betrayed by Rome for not helping them after the earthquake. They felt betrayed by Rome for removing everything from them. And to further this, remember now um, that we talked about in previous cities that persecuted Jews had fled to various parts of Asia Minor, establishing towns, establishing synagogues. We talked about last week how they were in Sardis and Jesus said they're dead. And so initially now these Christians who came to Philadelphia, they thought they were Jewish sects. And then now they're rejoicing in the resurrection of the Messiah. And so now they're being excluded from the synagogue. So get the picture for Christians. Rome has betrayed them for not helping them. Rome was removing the backbone of their economy from them. And now the people they used to worship with don't want them to worship with them because they trust and said yes to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. This exclusion, this alienation from family and friends. Remember at this time, the synagogue is not how we see it for two hours on Sunday. The synagogue was the center of social life. So now you don't have the place to go to worship. You have shame. You have social exclusion. You don't have any money. Your economy has been stripped from you, and the government has turned their back on you. And so all of this comes together, y'all. The Christians are being persecuted as well on top of all of that. So imagine being a follower of Christ. The government has forsaken you. The emperor has taken your economic status from you. You were betrayed by people you used to work with all because you said yes to Jesus. And now if you don't say Caesar is Lord, you'll be persecuted by Roman officials. This was the weight of early Christians and similar to experiences that many Christians around the world have who refuse to deny Jesus. As difficult as we feel we have it here, there are people across the world that if they say the name Jesus, risk their lives. And then the people in Philadelphia did something that other churches did not do. They decided to remain steadfast in Jesus. They chose to endure the shame and the danger for the sake of the promises that Jesus had gave them. And this is what Jesus says. So he writes this and he says, listen, in spite of everything y'all have been through, he writes this letter to the letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia and tells them, I'm not correcting them because they're trying. I'm not throwing them away because they're trying. And he says, there are some people who are in Philadelphia who are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to them, they're not dead like those in Sardis. To them, they aren't lost like other communities. To them, they are not lukewarm like Laodicea. To them, Jesus says, they are trusting my promises, so I'm going to make them a new promise. Jesus says, you trust me, I trust you too. But the only way that they can move forward is by moving past old achievement. Look what he says. Look what he says. So what's his character? Look at verse number seven. So what's Christ's character? Who is he sharing with? Church of Philadelphia What makes him different. Verse seven says, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who's holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Let's walk through this. First thing Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm holy. The word holy there in the Aramaic is to be consecrated. Jesus says, I am set apart from every other God that you possibly ever could know about. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that I am holy, not a personal holiness, but I have a duty to maintain my holiness. Jesus said, I've been consecrated to holiness. I am undefiled. I am separate from every other God you possibly could hear about. And that Jesus says, there is not a thing that can come to me that will bother me. There is not a thing, Jesus says, that will come to me that will affect me, that will change me, that will change my holiness. Jesus says, if I'm going to establish who I am, the first thing I want you to do and know is that you can trust me because nothing is going to change the truth of about me. 
He says, I'm holy. Then Jesus doesn't just say, I'm holy, but then Jesus says, I am true. This word goes beyond not being false, but it applies the contrast of the perfect with the imperfect. He says, I am the ideal. That's the word in the Greek. I am the ideal. By calling himself true, he says, every name, every title, everything you've heard about me is true about me. And that everything I said I am, I am. Everything that I ever was, I continue to be, and everything that I say I will become will come true because not only is Jesus holy, but then Jesus says, I'm true. And then he says, on top of all of that, he says, then I also hold the key of David. Now, this is massive because some early commentators saw this key as a key of knowledge, Luke 11 and 52, and they understood that what Jesus was showing us here and the use of the word David is going back to Isaiah 22 and 22. And Isaiah writes these words. He says, I will place you on the shoulder, the key to the house of David. And what this person opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I'm going to show you this. Go to Isaiah 22. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm going to show you. I'm not making any of this stuff. Go to Isaiah chapter 22. I want you to see what Jesus is doing is showing us I'm fulfilling all scripture. So not only did I fulfill the scripture of my suffering, not only did I fulfill the scripture of my death, not only did I fulfill the scripture of my resurrection, not only am I fulfilling the scripture of my coming back again, but in the midst of me leaving and coming back again, here's what I'm showing you I have, that you ought not worry about Rome because you have me. And Isaiah 22 and 22 says this, look at the text, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David which no one, when he opens, no one can shut, and when he shuts, no one can open. What does that mean, Pastor Justin? What is the house of David? The synagogue. Remember what I told you the Christians got kicked out of because they said yes to Jesus? Was the synagogue. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, the places that the world has kicked you out of, they forgot they don't hold the key in the first place. I am talking. And he says, so they kicked you out of the temple, but they don't own the key to the temple in the first place. So don't you stop your worship because they kicked you out. I'm the true steward, hallelujah, of the house of David. If you don't believe me, go to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me show you this. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. I'll prove it to you in the text. Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6 says this, Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of things that were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over that house, whose house we are, and if we hold fast our confidence and boast our hope firm until the end. What Jesus was doing was telling the leaders in the synagogue, you can't kick Jesus out. Why? Because I'm holy. I wish I had somebody. Why? Because I'm true. And why? Because it's my house in the first place. And the steward of this house, Jesus. The reason you can come to the house, Jesus. And so don't you get consumed when somebody puts you out. Because remember, the person who holds the key in the first place is Jesus. This is why Jesus says what they shut in front of you. I'll shut it and nobody else can open it. What they open in front of you, I'll open and nobody else can shut it, which ought to give all of us a great place to rejoice. That if God says yes, ain't no person in the world and no devil in hell can tell you no because they don't have the key, Jesus does. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago that the way that you would get into the city, the way that you would get into the temple is if he would say Caesar is Lord. Can you imagine the amount of closed doors the Christians have had. Because instead of saying Caesar is Lord, they said Jesus is Lord. And so now getting this note from Jesus told them, no matter all of the doors that have been shut in your face, you have an open door. And what Jesus opens, no one can shut. And what Jesus shuts, nobody can open. Oh, that's good news this morning. That's good news. This morning. They memorized the Torah. They knew that Jesus was calling upon Isaiah. So Jesus says, I'm holy. 
He says, they blaspheme you because they, they know me and they know you, but together we're holy. He says, I'm true. They'll tell you lies about me, but together with me, Jesus says, I'm the truth. And Jesus says, I hold the key. They can kick you out, but I'll hold the key to keep you in because I'm different, Jesus says. I can do no wrong. I don't know what wrong is. I am true, and I'm faithful to what I said, and I'll never betray you. Maybe this is a word some of you in this building who have been trying this year to take your faith seriously. You've been trying to talk to people at work. You've been trying to engage at home. You've tried reading your scriptures. You've been trying to do this. And I want to tell you, don't give up on trusting Jesus because he's still holy. He's still true. And he holds the key to what you've been praying for. No matter what doors have been shut in your life, no matter what doors have been shut because of your skin color, your education, your pedigree, your past, your connections, your lack of connections, I want to tell you, Jesus writes you this letter today to remind you in your faithfulness, in your try, in your desire, that if I open the door, no one can shut it. And if I shut it, nobody can open it. And that ought to make us rejoice this morning. Let me say this. The rest of this text, before I jump into it, every text isn't for everyone. If you have not trusted Jesus, if you have not said yes to Jesus, I can shout you about what we're going to read in a second. But let me tell you, it will not apply to you because you don't trust the one who holds the key. And so if you're here today, i got to be very clear. There's a heaven, there is a hell, and this text, you exempt yourself from the good news of this text if you have not said yes to Jesus. The faithful are the ones that Jesus is writing this text to. So the same way that correction the last seven weeks has not been for everyone, in this case, the, 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 the fulfillment and the opportunity, the exhortation may not be for everyone either. If you've said yes to Jesus, oh, what I'm about to tell you ought to make you run around the church. If you have not said yes to Jesus, you're exempting yourself from good news. This is not a very good life coaching text because what makes life different with Jesus is you have access to authority that the earth cannot contain. And that's why Romans 8 comes back and says the word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. It is with your mouth you profess your faith and you are saved. And anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So what Jesus is about to show us in this text, and I, I want to make sure it's very clear, serving the Lord always pays off. That's it. Let me show you what he does. He doesn't correct them. He says, to the faithful, those who've been reading their scriptures, those who've been trying me, those who've been trusting me, those who've been believing in me, those who've been following after me. Look at verse number eight. Jesus says, I know your deeds. What did I do? I have put you before an open door. Hallelujah. That no man can shut. And Jesus says, I know the truth about you. I know you ain't got a whole lot of strength, but you got my word and you haven't sullied my name. I could close the doors and have benediction right there. That's the whole text. Jesus says, I know what you've done. So here's my response to your faithfulness. I have put you, hallelujah, in front of an open door. And nobody, hallelujah, can shut your open door. Why? Even though I know you have little strength, you kept my word and didn't sully my name. Let me break this thing down, Justin style. Jesus says, I know your deeds. What deeds? He says, they've earned shut doors. He says, here's what they've done. Because you have said yes to Jesus, people have slammed doors in your face. Because you said yes to Jesus, people have taken your name out of your phone. Because you said yes to Jesus, some people don't talk to you. People from high school don't engage with you. They've earned the privilege of not going where Jesus isn't welcome. And God says, thank you for not going where I'm not at. Thank you for rejecting those things that have rejected me. Jesus says, thank you for being faithful to my name. Glory to the Lamb of God. Because faithfulness to Jesus always pays off. I was at a service last week, and I was sitting inside of a church service, and I was sitting there, and I was, I was watching, and my fr I had a group of friends that texted me, and they said, Jay Les, fix your face. And I'm sitting here like, I got to get better with my poker face. They said, Jay Les, fix your face. As we can tell, you don't want to be sitting in this pulpit. It was a dry Oh, my God. Like, you ever had overcooked steak? It was worse than overcooked bad steak and just people who don't know how to cook chicken. It was this dry, 
dead as a doornail church service. And I'm sitting here, and they talk about this is brand new life, and it felt like a dead funeral. And my friends texted me, Jay, fix your face in the pulpit. And I texted them something back because I was just so frustrated. I said, I don't like being in sanctuaries where Jesus isn't. And let me tell you what my friend said to me. He responded back to me. He said, Jay Les, don't any of you call me Jay Les. If any of you call me Jay Les, I'm going to get you. That's my old football name. There's like four people who call me Jay Les. And I know when they call me Jay Les, they call the old part of me out, right? They said, they responded back to me. He said, Jay Les, leave. Don't stay where you know God isn't. Can I tell you what these saints have done? Jesus says, I know that you don't stay where I'm not welcome. Hallelujah. I know you're working your spiritual gift. I know you are loving beyond yourself. I know you've been patient. I know you've been preaching. You've been professing. You've been maintaining the gospel. I know you've been coming to small groups. I know you've been performing acts of charity. I know people have sullied your name. I know people have complained about you. I know people have sullied you. But here's what Jesus says. I know your deeds because earthly doors being shut means a great heavenly door being wide open. And Jesus says, don't lose your mind because don't go where my glory won't be because I'll send you someplace with, am I talking to anybody in the building who can thank God that in the midst of the shut doors of your life, God will open a brand new door. Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have shut doors. So what did he do? I love this. He doesn't, hallelujah, walk them in the open door. You see the text. He says, I have put you in front (laughs) of an open door. He doesn't say, I wheeled you in. He doesn't say, I pushed you in. He says, I'm giving you a new opportunity. I know it feels like I've forsaken you. I know you don't see me like you did 60 years ago. But here's what I'm going to do. I want to see if I put you in front of a guarantee Will you take a step of faith one more time? Oh, I I preached this text as a youth day preacher years ago, and I shouted like crazy, God gave you an open door. And then I studied it because I didn't study back then. I was just, you know, I just wanted the $200 on a youth day check. But now I'm studying scripture. Don't don't judge me. Y'all know niggas do that, right? Sorry, Negro. Sorry. Don't. Oh, God. Don't put me on TikTok. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to. All right. (laughs) That was Jay Les coming out. All right. So. Um, the open door was not a way of escape from difficulties. The open door in the Aramaic here is a chance to trust God again. He says, I put you in front of the door. Are you going to take the step in? I'm talking to preachers. I mean, you feel like ministry has just broken you. And Jesus says, I, you're faithful. Will you preach one more time. Talking to deacons, man, I'm tired. I can't. I'm tired of defending the pastor. I'm tired of defending this ministry. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Will you trust God one more time? Talking to singers, I'm, mm, I can't do it. If these folk don't stand up. They look at me like I'm crazy. I don't feel like singing again because it's just, will you trust God one more time? I'm talking to parents. You tr- want, you're not giving up on your children, but you're giving up on your kids, and you're just sitting here like, if, I don't know if I can get through to them. I don't know if I'm enough for them. And God says, will you trust me one more time? Because here's the good news. The door that he's letting you walk into, he says, cannot be shut by people. Hallelujah. Jesus tells them, if you trust me one more time, I have set you in front of an open door that nobody can shut. Glory to the Lamb of God. Jesus guarantees them success if you trust me. And here's how I love his honesty. He says, because let me tell you, you can't handle another shut door. Well, I'm talking to people who've lost their job. I'm talking to people who've been laid off. I'm talking to people whose relationships seem rocky. You can't handle another text message. You can't handle another job rejection. You can't. Here's why. Look what Jesus says. He says, because you have little strength. Oh, I love it. Jesus says, I, I know you're weak. I know life has broken you. Life is 
stripped you of every part. You feel bruised and battered. You're afraid to look at your bank account. You're afraid to turn your phone on. You're afraid to walk out the door because you feel like something bad else is going to happen to you. Jesus says, no, because here's why. You without me, you have little strength. But, oh, you're strong enough to do one thing, he says. He says, I've given you the door because you're wise enough that you never sullied my word and you never denied my name. Glory to the Lamb of God. Ah, man, Jesus says, I know you're weak in the world, but you're strong in the spirit. (laughs) I know you're weak in the world, but you're strong in the spirit. And Jesus is telling all of us, I'm giving you an open door. Just trust me one more time. Oh, I know the last one failed. I know the last job said no. I know the last person turned their back on you. I know the last thing didn't go well for you. But Jesus says, because you've kept my word, because you didn't deny my name, I want to guarantee you that if you trust me in this season, I'll show you a door that never will be shut in your life. This is the struggle. I'm talking to people in the room this morning. You're here at church. You're online. You're listening to this podcast throughout the week while you're working out. You know God is good, but you don't want to take another leap of faith. You know God is good, but you, you can't, you can't, you just, I, I can't do another interview. I can't, I, I, I can't, Pastor Justin, I, I can't give again. I can't listen to another pastor. I can't settle down. I can't apply for the job. I can't read the scripture because I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm mad because it seems like every door I've been turning has not been the door for me. And it's not that Jesus has been bad to me. I am just so weakened by life because the last time you took a leap of faith and practiced it with people, they slammed the doors in your face. Oh, the last time you tried Jesus, the last time you sang, the last time you preached, the last time you served, they slammed doors in your face. Maybe, and your faith has been beaten and brutalized by people who stepped on your try with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, but I'm, I'm guaranteeing you something this time. This time is different because they don't have the authority to shut your door. Glory to the Lamb of God. Trust God again. Try God again. Because this time, Jesus guarantees you it's going to be different. You know, let me, let me give you my own story. Let me give you a little aspect of my own vulnerability. I have been pastoring for some, what, 12, no, 10 years, sorry, 10 years now. I've been in full-time ministry for almost 15. And I remember years ago, 2008, I wrote a, I wrote a thesis called Trifle and Triplicity. And I talked about the use of technology in the church. And I was preaching at home in Milwaukee, sitting at a table with Negroes that kicked me out of their churches because they said, you don't bring this technology to church that are begging me to talk to them about artificial intelligence. Doc, we'll fly you in, doc. We'll do this, doc. And I'm sitting here like, do you guys know how much you broke me? Like, y'all kicked me out of churches. I remember there was a church that I preached at three, uh, two months after I attempted suicide in Nashville. And I had an altar call full of people at the altar. And I was talking about mental health and laying hands on students. And they wanted me to talk about mental health. And the pastor came to me later and said, listen, I want you to talk about mental health, but don't talk about suicide because we don't want to talk about that stuff. And you're not welcome in this pulpit again. That wants to fly me back to Nashville next year to talk about my book, Necessary Endings. But if I would have given up on Jesus in 2008, if I would have given up on Jesus in 2014, my former church, let me tell you this, my former church, we had a Sunday. There was a young girl who came in. She had cut herself so bad on a Saturday night because of a bad breakup. She came into church. I'd recently finished talking about mental health about three months earlier. And the deacons in my former church grabbed her, took her to the hospital, took her out to eat, made sure everything was okay. Because now we understood that the trying and trusting God again for me made sure somebody didn't lose their life. I've been counseling people here in friendship since the day I've gotten here. And yes, it has not been super easy when I've talked about, don't talk about mental health. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. But to have the individuals and teenagers and the teachers saying, I read your book and it saved my son's life. If I gave up on God the last time, there are people we would have been burying left and right, myself included. I want to tell you, don't give up on your try with God. 
I know I don't want to be a member of the church. I don't want to trust God. I don't want to preach that sermon. I don't want to read that book. I don't want to trust that person. I don't want to get into this. I don't want to follow after someone. But let me tell you something. What Jesus says this time, because you've been faithful, the door can't be shut. I'm trying to help any person in this building trust and try God one more time. And what's the promise? Remember, there's no correction in this text. Here's the promise. You trust God one more time. Look at verses 9 through 13. And I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but they're not, but they're liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I loved you. Come on. I'm talking to somebody in the building. Jesus, do you all see the text? Justin ain't making it up. Jesus says, all those individuals who shut the doors at the synagogue, I'll make them come fall at your feet. Do you all see this? And acknowledge I loved you. Not only that, here's my promise. Since you've kept my command and endured patiently, I'll keep you from the hour of trial when I test the entire world of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold to what you have, and no one will take your crown. To so one's victorious, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will you leave it. The temple that's been shutting doors in your face, you'll never leave my presence. So one of his promises, there are five promises Jesus gives you, and I'm finished. Very quickly, number one, the first promise I want to give every person in the building, those who oppose you today will honor you in the end. I said, those, I'm just reading the text, who oppose you today will honor you in the end. Remember, the primary opposition of the Church of Philadelphia is not from those who oppose God. It's from those who claim they know God better than those who follow Jesus. And what Jesus is delineating from are that Jews are not the true followers of God because they didn't place their trust in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is not the uber-religious Jews that know me. It's the Gentile Christians that know me best. And Jesus spends the entirety of the book of Revelation redefining who a Jew is. That a true Jew is not Jesus' true. Church. It is not an Old Testament Israelite. It is somebody who has a relationship with God. And the nation of God is the believer in Jesus Christ. And the one that pursues Christ, Jesus says, I give you an open door. So if you oppose the faithful believers, Jesus says, you are my enemy. Woo! And so those, hallelujah, that oppose you, have not made themselves your enemy, Jesus says they've made themselves my, God, dog it. So don't you waste your energy on figuring out people who have made themselves Jesus's enemy. Jesus says they aren't at my synagogue, they go to the synagogue of Satan. Because I am the way. I wish I had somebody. And the truth and the life. I came and died. I gave my life. And for you to be a true Christian is a conscious decision to follow me. You don't follow your enemies. You follow after me. Because you know me. And you know that where I lead you, I'll take you to places eyes have never seen. I'll take you over. I'll take you under. I'll take you through. Because you are my friend and not my enemy enemy. But here's the kicker. Not only are those synagogue of Satan worshipers of Jesus' enemy, but Jesus says, oh, hallelujah, those who are my enemy will eventually come and fall at your feet and acknowledge you look like Jesus. Whew, that means, here's my challenge to all of you, church, Spend your time not trying to change the mind of your enemy, but spend your time looking like the love of Jesus. I, woo, I, uh, that your enemies have a place to come to because I look like Jesus, I forgive like Jesus, I worship like Jesus, I serve like Jesus, I show up like Jesus, I give like Jesus, I worship like Jesus, I forgive like Jesus, I don't retaliate like Jesus, I reconcile because of Jesus, I talk to you because of Jesus, I smile in every season because of Jesus, because all I know is that you're going to come and fall at my feet because I look like 
what? Am I talking to anybody in the building? I don't have time to cuss you out. I'm trying to look like Jesus. I don't have time to hate you. I'm trying to look like Jesus. I ain't got time to talk about you. I'm trying to look like Jesus. I ain't got time to waste my energy. Am I talking to anybody in the building? I don't do it right every day, but I will, oh, I want to see him look upon his face there to sing forever. Can I tell you something? Can I free some of you? Here's a statement I've been saying to myself. I could, but I won't because he did. That made me jump out of, I said, I could cuss you out. I wish I had somebody, but I won't cuss you out because he died for me. I could knock you out your mind, but I won't knock you off your mind because he, am I talking to anybody in the building that because of what Jesus has done, I could, but I won't because I want to look like He says, I've set you before an open door. And here's the promise on the other side. Take the step of faith. Why? Because those who oppose you outside the door will honor you on the other side of the door. Not only do I want you to take a step of faith in the open door, here's the second promise. He says, you will be delivered from the hour of trial. Hallelujah. He says, since, hallelujah, you've kept my command, he says, I will keep you in the hour of trial. Now, Jesus says you've endured the truth in the midst of severe antagonism, in the midst of persecution. Why? Verse 2, because you kept the word and trusted his truth. So when the hour of testing comes, Jesus says, I'll keep you. Now, this hour of testing, y'all, is not like your boss sends you a weird email. Hour of testing ain't like somebody talked about you on Facebook. The hour of testing is the period of tribulation and the rapture. So let me, let me, let me talk through this. So there's been substantial debate, the word eschatology, the study of end times. Let me give you a couple words. Eschatology is the study of end times, right? The debate centers upon various events, coming of Jesus, the millennial reign, and the resurrection of the saints. At the core of these discussions is, is not just the events, but the timing of the events. And so Jesus says, verse 10, when the rapture comes, you'll be safe. The word rapture means to be caught up. Everybody go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me show you this. Everybody go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me talk about this end time stuff really quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because in order to grab this stuff, I really want you to see how powerful it is. And go down to verse number 13. We read this at funerals, but like, it's not really a funeral text. But let me, let me read this to you. We're going to go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to see this so you can see what he's delivering you from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. Look what he says here. And then we're going to read into chapter 5 because it doesn't end here. Remember, the scriptures were one long scroll, right? They were one long scroll, and they had no punctuation. And so it wasn't like, you know, they're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have markers that were added 600 years ago, right? So here's why the markers, let me give you this. The reason the scripture markers were added to the scriptures 600 years ago is because a white man was trying to make, write a commentary to make a whole bunch of money. That's it. And so he added scriptures and verses to the, to the Bible, numbers and stuff, because he needed a way to make some money on a commentary. The scriptures are one long, white men just have been screwing up everything, but they've been one long scroll. So verse number 13, for our reference, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you who do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. If you have not underlined that, underline that. When we grieve, we don't grieve like the rest of those who don't know Jesus. We grieve like those who have hope, right? I want you to underline that. Here we keep going. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. According to the Lord, Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will, not certainly, will certainly not precede those who fall fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With a voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. This is what Jesus is referencing. After all, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will be together with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we think it refers backwards, but really it refers to the next verse. So go to chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, so here's what we're encouraging each other with. We do not need to write to you, for you know that very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If you all remember, the reference to this language is Sardis. Last week, coming like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them as suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. So this is the period of tribulation. We believe there will be a seven-year period of tribulation, right? I'm going to get to pre-posted mid in a second, but this is what he's referencing. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness so that this day should not surprise you. Why? Because you are children of the light, children of the day, so we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So Jesus is saying literally, like Paul is exposing in this, and I'm going to go back to Revelation, that when Jesus comes, because you trust him, do not worry. Because you don't live in the night, you live in the light. Okay. This is where I really want us to ensure that we are safe and secure and trusting Jesus. Because I can preach this stuff until I'm blue in the face. But if you have not said yes to Jesus, when night comes, you'll live in the night. But if you have said yes to Jesus, when night comes, you'll be living in the light. All right. So let us not be like others, verse 6, who are asleep, but be awake and sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, be sober. Put on faith, love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus is referencing and why this is so important. The, the, the tribulation is a distinct seven-year period where the world will experience significant sufferings, trials, and testing. So there are three takes on tribulation. There's pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. Let me break those words down. Pre-tribulation believes that the rapture will occur before the great tribulation. That those of us who are in Christ Jesus will be caught up and will go be with Jesus in heaven. And those who are not will be left behind. And that's where the great tribulation will happen for seven years. Antichrist, all of that. Then there's the post-tribulation. In this view, the rapture will take place after the tribulation. That is, we will suffer for seven years-ish. And the rapture will come after tribulation. And then there's mid-tribulation, that God will allow some of the rapture, tribulation to happen, like a year or two. And then he'll come in the middle of the years of tribulation, rapture up those who said yes to Jesus, and then the rest will stay behind. And then there's some that just think there's, just, there's nothing at all. And, and the reason this is important, the, the focus I want you to grab here is that Jesus uses the Greek word ek, or I will keep you out of this. I want you to see here, church. Jesus says, because you've trusted me, you ain't got to worry about whether it's pre-post or mid. I'll keep you out of any trial. All right, that was back up that thing one more time. Because we want to read all these books on the rapture and when is Jesus coming back and, oh, my God, where's the fire and the antichrist and all that. If you've trusted me, Jesus said, I'll keep you out of. <laughs> So, what, what does it mean, Pastor Justin? When is the rapture? When is it? I, don't, I don't know. I don't really know. But here's what I do know. If I trust Jesus, I'm going to live over it. I'm going to live through it. And if I trust Jesus, those who are faithful, the tribulation will not overcome the Christian. Why? Because Jesus said it. Now, okay, if I hoop that, like if I hollered that man, he'll be running around throwing wigs and stuff, right? So I'm, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to just say it out. Because we've been faithful to Jesus... The tribulation want to overcome the Christian. You don't have to live in fear of the rapture or the tribulation. We rejoice that we will see Jesus. And he says, I'll keep you out of the tribulation. Right. Number three, Jesus is coming quickly. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Don't want to take your crown. Imagine how they felt. Jesus says, I'm coming for you, so don't stop being you. Your hope is that Jesus is coming back for you. And then lastly, he says, you'll be made a pillar in the temple of my God with permanent residence in my presence. Jesus, Philadelphia was a highly religious city, numerous temples and churches. Their prosperity was attributed to two factors. They were on the trade route from Asia to Europe. They thrived for their vineyards. So having all of that stripped away from them because of the earthquake stripped them of what they thought was going to be great. Earthquakes were frequent. They couldn't maintain a great economy. And the only thing they had left standing were the pillars of the temple. In Revelation, Jesus describes a new city, an eternal dwelling place for believers, the ultimate temple. And in the ultimate temple, verse 12, the promise of the faithful is you will be a permanent presence in God's presence. 
<laughs> you don't have to worry about fleeing earthquakes. You don't have to worry about trying to cultivate your vineyard. You don't have to worry about trying to be popular to make money. Jesus says, you will be a permanent pillar in my presence. And what is the last promise? He says, because number five, you will forever be identified with Jesus, bearing his name. Jesus says, believers are always identified with me because I put my name on. He says, I'm changing your status, that you are redeemed property, you are citizens of a new city, and you'll forever be identified with Jesus. Oh, that makes me excited. Because I'm talking to people in the building, some ancestors, some uncles, some aunties have sullied your last name. You're afraid to tell people where you grew up, what school you went to, where you graduated from. You're afraid to tell people even your name sometimes. And here's what Jesus says. I, I get it. But if you take a step into your open door this time, I'm going to sign my name on you that whenever somebody sees you, they'll know you're connected to me. There's a whole bunch of analogies I could give there, but I'm not. I'm going to give you what Jesus said at the end of this text. Whoever has ears, let them hear. For those of you standing at the precipice of an open door, uh, for those of you standing at the juncture of God has set you in front of what you've been praying for and set you in front of everything you've been seeking God for, the promises are that you will step in. I'll, I'll lesterize these promises. Let me, let me break, let me update some of the promises instead of giving super churchy language. The first thing, I'll tell you the first promise is those who challenge you will cheer you. You can dodge trial because God has given you a success map. Jesus is coming. You belong in his presence, so stay in his presence and hold on to his name. You have promises from God. Trust God again. My car has been giving me trouble the last couple of weeks, and uh, my car has been giving me trouble. And I sat there, and I took my car to, to the dealership, and they tried to figure some stuff out, and uh, I was driving down the street, had some issues in my car, and I was pulled over to the side of the road. I didn't have much reception, and uh, so I couldn't call anyone or anything like that. And so I'm sitting here. I was very frustrated, and uh, somebody pulled up. Big old, big old truck pulled up. They saw me had a truck. They asked what the problem was. I said, man, my battery, I think my battery's dead or whatever. And he said, oh, don't worry. I got some jumper cables. Grabbed his jumper cables, connected his power to my lack of power. We connected them to positives or negative, all that type of positive power, all that type of stuff. And he said, sir, get behind your car and just start your car up. Start my car up. Car didn't start. He said, oh, don't worry. Try it again. Man, man, it didn't work first time. But I tried to get, press the button again. Didn't work again. He said, hold on. He took them off, touched it, made sure there was a spark. He said, man, I got some power flowing. You're just not receiving the power yet. Do me one favor. Just try it again. Just try it again. Got back behind the wheel, pressed the button, heard a little bit of movement. He said, try it again. When I tried it again, the power from his car came to my car, and I was able to get on to my final destination. I'm talking to people in the building. Oh, life has broken you. Life has harmed you. People have sullied you, thrown you away like trash. And Jesus says, no, I'm put you in front of an open door. Try it again. Jesus, I don't want to. You don't understand. Woo, Jesus, I would, I would, no, 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 praise me again. No, no, talk to me again. Because here's what I did. I have set you in front of an open door, and this time no one's going to shut it. Because I shut the door, because I'm holy, I'm true, I hold the key of David. I know it failed, but I know divorce happened, but try me again. I know debt occurred, I know loss occurred, you lost the home, you lost the, but try me again, because I'm guaranteeing you that the power is flowing. Don't give up on your try. Let me pray for you this morning. I want everyone to ask the Lord one question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What are you? And I want you to listen. Where is he calling you to try him again? Right there. Where is he calling you to trust him again? I know you don't want to. I know you don't want to. 
but he says this, I'm guaranteeing you success. Where is it calling you to trust me again? Is it that business? That job application? Those coworkers? Your emotions? Lord, where is he showing you? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to your heart. God, I thank you for an open door. I thank you that you've given us promises on the other side of the open door. So today, God, we raise our faith to walk into the open door. I thank you that you're trusting us, ooh, God, with our trial. For so many of us, God, we've been broken by life. We don't want to apply for another job. We don't, we don't want to, we don't, I don't, I can't do another rejection. I can't do another status. I can't do another email. I, 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 God, I, oof, God, I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't go visit my mom's house again. I can't go to my dad's house. I just can't, I can't do the drama. I can't, I want to go to the family reunion, but I can't. Thanksgiving's coming up, God, and I just, I can't do my family. And God, you're placing us in front of an open door to, to trust you again. So God, this time, when we take this step, let your word do the work. Those who oppose us on this side of the door, we will try our best to look like you so that the day will come when they have to honor the love of God in our lives. God, thank you that you will make us a pillar in your presence. That no matter all the places that have rejected us, God, I want to be with you. So even if I feel lonely, God, I'm talking to lonely people. Oof, God, I'm talking to people who just feel lonely. God, let your presence be bigger than group chats. Let your presence be bigger than Facebook groups. Let your presence be bigger than the communities we built online and on Instagram. God, I'm I have friends today, God, across this room who are going to more funerals than they are going to the gym. And God, I feel lonely. And I pray that your presence will be the, them be a pillar in your presence, that you will fill the rooms of their anxiety and their loss and their fear and their pain, that as they sit down and watch TV alone again, looking over at the couch of the spouse they buried, that they go out to eat and their friend group and the person they buried isn't there, I pray, God, that they'll be a pillar in your presence. They'll never experience the weight of it because you have put them in front of an open door. God, I thank you that you will position us with a door that no man can shut and open doors for us. I thank you that you are still a rewarder of those that seek you. I'll do your best work in my friends in this season of open doors in Jesus' name. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask my son, you can play in a second with all of this. I'm going to count to three, and I want everyone, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try praising and worshiping God again. And I know it's difficult and different. I've got no, I want you to just take a moment on the count of three, and I want you to tear the roof off this building to praise God for no reason. And for those of you who are see, sensing that God is taking you to an open door, I want you to try worship and try praise again. That's all I want you to do. So on the count of three, I want us to praise God for no reason in your own way as I want us to practice trying God again. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? One, two, three. Come on, let's just thank God for no reason. Come on, come on. I want you to try him again. Come on, come on. I want you to worship again. Come on, church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I want you to try him again. Come on, come on. I want you to try him. Come on, change your posture. Come on. I want you to try him again. Try him again. Because he's never failed. He won't fail me yet. Everybody's standing. Everybody's standing.